You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lusco, along with your host, James Rapine. And sometimes I wish you guys could hear what James Rapine says when I'm trying to get the podcast started. Today, he sang a song about Tim Tebow and the Wildcat, and he combined it with the Bad Boys song. James, would you like to do the Tim Tebow's Coming For You rendition for, for our listeners? Sure. I mean, we were talking about practice squads and i said tim tebow baby wildcat wildcat what you gonna do because tim tebow is coming for you hey man it's funny now if tim tebow has a touchdown against the Bengals when the jags play them we're gonna have to eat our words and we're gonna go back to this show which is may 21st and, and have to play me making fun of tim tebow being in the nfl in 2021 I mean, I'm going to just rip the shit out of the defense if that happens, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Let's start the show, James, before we get into the mailbag with a little conversation about Morgan Moses, the Washington football team right tackle. He played left tackle against the Bengals when that game happened last year. Not that anyone remembers anything that happened when the Washington offense was on the field for that game. He ended up being cut. He was being floated as a trade candidate. And as often happens when these guys are put out there as trade candidates, they get cut. So Morgan Moses, offensive tackle, 30 years old, now a free agent. James, you posted at allbengals.com that this move makes sense for the Bengals. And I agree with you. On its face, it's not necessarily the most obvious move, right? Sign another tackle. You've already signed a tackle in Riley Reef. Well, you know, does that really make sense? But it really does because it adds depth to your tackle depth chart. Right, It allows you to move Riley Reef to left guard. He's played some left guard in his career. He's not going to be lost there. So it adds depth to your left guard position as well. And if you lose a tackle, well, now you've got a couple of established veterans that can play at least average football for the most part. And you have a little bit of injury insurance there. It just comes down to how much he's going to cost and how much this team wants to lock up and another veteran at this point in the offseason. And that's my concern, is the Bengals may look at Morgan Moses and say, oh, we like Riley Reef better. We think he's going to be better at right tackle. And while that might be the case, if you add Moses and kick Riley Reef to, to left guard, which you've talked about on Twitter, it makes a ton of sense to me because you're right. Now you suddenly have three proven tackles. If Jonah Williams gets dinged up, he has in each of the past two years, 10 games in two seasons. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen, and we're talking about him playing 17 games, but depth is important. The Bengals are one injury away from Fred Johnson or Akeem Adeniji or one of these guys playing tackle for them, and you don't want that. And so if you add Morgan Moses and Jonah Williams gets injured, Riley Reef can kick over back to left tackle where he was comfortable with the Vikings and played so many years, and, and you feel good about that. So it makes sense to me cost-wise. I would assume it would be a one-year deal. You guarantee him a starting spot and say, hey, you can reestablish your value in this league. And who knows? Maybe he becomes a, a guy that you you bring back in 2022. But that's where the Bengals would have to offer him a starting job. And that's the part of it. Are they willing to bring in a guy in Morgan Moses who isn't a pro bowler? Right. But he's really good, has been durable, hasn't missed a start since 2015. Bring him in 
And in doing so, you have to move Riley Reef to the left side, essentially, at that left guard spot. I would do it. I would at least be interested in it. Will the Bengals? Uh, I'm not as optimistic there. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that the Bengals have to evaluate. One of those is the question of, is the net positive of moving Riley Reef to left guard, Morgan Moses coming in at right tackle, is that worth it if we think? And I don't know if they think this or not, but if they think that Riley Reef is a better right tackle than Morgan Moses, I'm not sure what they think there. But they might really like their competition at left guard already. And the idea of guaranteeing a guy a starting job doesn't seem like it's something Frank Pollock would be very comfortable with the way he's talked about everybody's got to earn it. And they're always going to say that, right? That's a very coach speak kind of thing to say, but he wants these guys to come in there and compete. And so the idea of guaranteeing a starting spot, I I think they effectively did this for Riley reef Mm -hmm. by the way, but uh, (laughs) it it just, it feels a little wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's not, it's just a little bit weird. And I think the Bengals would be pretty hesitant there. And, and that's the, the part, that's the hold up. But you never know. And again, the depth matters. And if there's yeah. a scenario where this blows up, I don't think it's at the guard spot, even though they were bad at guard last year. I think they do have some guys that can play guard at least adu- adequately this year. It, it's going to be the other way, the tackle spot, because there is some question marks if one of these guys go down. And if you bring in Morgan Moses, it would uh, it would make sense and fill that gap. The fact that it improves depth at two positions is really what sells it for me. I think it does, as you said, James, it comes down to to the role for Morgan Moses and if they evaluate it to be a net positive for the offensive line. And it comes down to the money. I don't know what the market for Morgan Moses is going to be, but at this point in the offseason, when a capable tackle hits the market, I imagine there might be a little bit of a competition for his services. Before we go full on into the mailbag, James, let's start with a, a little bit of a fun question. We have a couple of fun questions sprinkled throughout the mailbag today. And I want to start with this one from Mr. Elite at Elite83. He wants to know what color a mirror is, James. Do you know the answer to this question? I have no idea. Silver. Translucent. I, yellow. I think purple. A, a, any other guesses? Silver. Silver. Uh, a lot of silver surfaces are reflective. Most mirrors, I think, according to the science, are slightly green. A perfect mirror would be white, technically. That makes no sense to me. It, it has to do with the reflection of light. And since mirrors reflect all colors that make up white, then the mirror is thus white. The mirrors in my house are orange and black. There you go. Coming up next, we get into the mailbag in its balance. A lot of questions to get through today, as always. And the good news is, is even if we don't answer your question today, it's that time of the off season where we might look back at some of these questions next week and say, hey, that's a whole show or that's a whole segment. So you might get lucky and we might get some extended mailbag action here in the next couple of weeks. The full on mailbag coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action with baseball season in full swing. And yeah, the Reds are struggling if you're a Reds fan. Or maybe you want to jump into the NFL win totals for the 2021 season or comeback player of the year odds, rookie of the year odds. You can do all of it in one spot. BetOnline.ag plus NBA playoffs, NHL, UFC in one spot. So go there now. Get off the sidelines. Get in on the action. 
you're watching these events anyway. You might as well make some money while you do it by going to betonline.ag. When you're there, you sign up for free. And when you make that first deposit, make sure you use promo code locked on. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus. So betonline.ag, promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, James, let's dive on into our weekend mailbag here. We're going to start with a fantasy football question from Pup Joe at Pup Joe 3 on Twitter. He would like to know. He has three questions here. And let's try to answer all of them. Would you feel comfortable with Joe Burrow being a QB1 on your roster this season? Who would you draft first in a PPR league of the Bengals wide receivers? And do you think this year Joe Mixon will prove his worth and be a RB1, a first-round running back. All right, let's start with Joe Burrow. Um, do I think Joe Burrow could be a QB1? Absolutely, that's a ceiling. But you you really shouldn't draft him planning on him being your day-one starter without having someone else in that same realm. I wouldn't want Joe Burrow and then Teddy Bridgewater, right, or Drew Locke or someone like that that's really at the bottom. If you're getting a Burrow follow it up with a Lawrence or vice versa. I don't know exactly where they're going in fantasy drafts yet, but I would want someone else that has a pretty high ceiling so you can at least hit on one of them. Um, As far as Higgins, Boyd, Chase, give me Chase. I I think Chase, I think it's going to matter. He might not lead the team in receptions, but I think the yards, the touchdowns could certainly be there. Um, But it's close and it's tough. And if you have any of those guys, you feel good about it. And then the third one with Mixon, I'm not taking him in the first round as of now. I'm just not. You know, I can, I can let someone else take him. Now, if it's a 14-team league, the first round is extended a bit. But initially, I, I think he's more of a a pick. Most teams are 12-teamers. Uh, probably 13 through 17 in that range is where I'd be more comfortable. And he's capable of being an RB1 and capable of being, you know, delivering on a first-round value. I just can't draft him at that spot, especially because even when healthy – We don't know how much the Bengals are going to run it and use him in the passing game. So those are concerns as well. I think I agree with you on Burrow, although I do own him in a dynasty league that we started last year with the Locked On Network. And so I'm hoping that he's a QB1. And I think he certainly can be a QB1, but he wasn't last year. The, The touchdowns were really the big thing that was missing for him, despite how much they threw the ball. And I think maybe he would have gotten there toward the end of the year. And I'm expecting a year two jump for him especially if he participates in these OTAs maybe a little bit more than we thought he might and actually gets into the offseason program a little bit and gets to throw a little bit in the next month. I'm not convinced he will. I don't think he's ready to go full go, but maybe he could do some drills. And I think that that would matter for him. And that would make me feel a little more comfortable. It's not so much an injury risk for him as much as it's, do we really believe that this passing game is fixed to the point that he can be a QB1? In terms of fantasy production, not in terms of real-world quarterbacking skill. On the topic of which wide receiver I would take, in a PPR league, I would actually lean Tyler Boyd here, James, instead of Jamar Chase. I think Tyler Boyd is going to probably make up whatever difference they have in touchdowns with receptions and would be the reception hog out of these three guys. So I'm leaning Tyler Boyd for the first wide receiver that I would take from the Bengals. And I think he's probably the best value from what I've seen in early ADP uh, markets or whatever you want to call it. And then the last question on Mixon, I'm actually pretty bullish on Mixon. He is without Giovanni Bernard to eat into his snaps. 
I, I think he, you know, there's some question as to whether he's on the field the entire season. There's some question about the Bengals' proclivity to pass the ball more than run the ball. But without Geo, with Brian Callahan saying we want him on the field every down, I think we could see an expanded role for Mixon and more touches. And if he is healthy, his 16-game pace is certainly RB1 worthy. So I think late first round running back is probably about where Mixon should be going, uh, but he might end up in the second round and could be a steal for people. They're just legitimate questions there, as you mentioned. Yep, and that would be my concern. As, as far as Boyd, I agree with you. I think value-wise, that might be the play, but upside-wise, Boyd doesn't have what Chase has. Higgins probably doesn't have what Chase has either. So if I'm picking one of them, that's kind of why I it breaks the tie. Because it's a three-headed monster and it's going to be tough. And by the way, if those guys deliver, then Burrow should be a QB1. Next question comes from at Bengals underscore freak. Nobody knows the way the Bengals operate like you guys. That said, what are the proper expectations for this team to where I'm not extremely let down by how poorly they compete nor caught off guard by how well they might do? This is that fun word that we've talked about so many times, James. Expectations. And, and not what the Bengals are expecting, not what you expect when you sign a guy to an $18 million deal, which is maybe where we got crossed up a little bit on AJ last year. But what, what should fans expect as to not be too high or too low on the team? And, and honestly, I think the way things were trending with Burrow last year and some of the moves they made this offseason that we've discussed really ad nauseum at this point should position them well to be right around 500. It might be a couple games one way or the other. I think those are within the realm of possibility. And you should be hoping that things get better. Now, what the Bengals are going to expect from this coaching staff is an entirely different matter. And if they don't win, you know, 10, 11 games, I think that the coaching staff and the team may not have met ownership's expectations, but I think those would be lofty expectations for a fan to hold them accountable to. James, what are your thoughts? I'll use another phrase that you, you talk about all the time, the range of outcomes, right? They, they need to take a step forward, though. I think everyone should expect that. It's fair to expect that. They have a really, really good quarterback, and they've spent all these this, these money, this, these assets and defense, and even on the offensive line over the past couple of years, they have upgraded, right? They spent the 11th pick on Jonah Williams. They pay Riley Reef. Who knows? Maybe they do out, go out and get a Morgan Moses. But if they don't, they need to take a big step forward here. Otherwise, when is it going to get better? And so expectation should absolutely be they're hovering around. To me, that 500 mark, that's where they should be now. They should probably be a little ahead of that. They should be. We should be talking about them making the playoffs. But Burrow got injured. Fine. Let's see if they can get to that mark. And after six wins in two seasons, that seems pretty realistic to me it's not too pie in the sky i'll expect a playoff spot it's also not oh they're going to be another four win team i think it's in the middle i think it's around eight and nine seven and ten in that range hopefully better and i think their ceiling is higher but that's kind of the the fair expectation and that's not as fun as saying 11 and six or something like that but i just think that's where they are where a year from now or not even a year uh nine months from now we're talking about how they need to be really aggressive in free agency and add a piece here, add a piece there so they can make a real run in it, run at it in the AFC North. Hopefully that's where they're at. Heck, hopefully they do 
uh, qualify for the wild card, get back into the playoffs and all that stuff. But I, I just I don't think that's necessarily the expectation. And my expectation is for them to be in that 500 range. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to divide it, like where they should be in terms of they've had a coach for three years there. They got the quarterback last year. This year should be a leap year for them. Mm-hmm. But with the injury, with the lack of success, it's hard to expect that right now. So I really like that that distinction you made of like where they should be in the progression versus the reality of where we expect them to be. The next question we're going to do comes from Micah Dauno at Bengals D4L on Twitter. Who is the most likely camp or preseason breakout player on this roster? Oh, this is a good one. And it, and it could be multiple. Uh, I'll give a, a couple. And breakout wise, I'm not going to consider Trey Hendrickson a breakout player, right? He's an expensive free agent. He should be good. Um, so I'll go with. You know, some of these under the radar guys, rookies that I think will perform well. I'll give one on each. I think Chris Evans is going to be a guy that impresses specifically in the preseason just because he's got those traits where they're going to pop off. He's going to look good in one on ones at training camp. So that's a guy I can already see myself videotaping him a decent amount in one on ones during Bengals training camp and fans liking him. And then I'll flip it to the other side. I think Joseph Osai could make a pretty big impact right away. And, and we could see him. Um, getting after quarterbacks in the preseason where we're like, ooh, this is a guy. Now, here's the thing. Preseason-wise, should you expect that third-round pick to have a good one? Absolutely. So I'll give you another one. I think Wyatt Hubert might have a really good preseason because of his motor, because of all of his intangibles. Wouldn't be shocked at all if we we see his name pop up a bit uh, in the preseason. Again, he's going to get a lot of run in the, the second half of these three preseason games. You know, when I think about leap, James, I think of and breakout, I think about veterans a little bit more than I think about rookies. So that's fair that you answer rookies. I'll go the veteran route here a little bit. And for me, they're mostly on the defensive side of the ball because I have mm-hmm. a feeling that we know a lot of what the offense is going to be. Like we feel like we know what these wide receivers are. We feel like we know what the tight ends are. There are some questions on the offensive line, but I'm not going to peg any of them to be a breakout player. I think that the the ones I'm looking at on defense are linebackers. There's Jermaine, really the whole group, Jermaine Pratt, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and Logan Wilson are all guys. I'm looking for one or two of those guys to take a real step this year. And I don't know who it's going to be. I know the coaching staff thinks Jermaine Pratt has been taking moderate steps throughout his time in Cincinnati. I know that Logan Wilson is a guy that they remain high on. The other guy I'm going to mention is a free agent acquisition that has a lot of athletic upside, but was hampered by injury last year. And that's Chidobe Awuzie. I think that Awuzie is probably the, the one of the highest ceilings in this defensive back group, just from the athleticism, from some of the ball skills that he has put on tape in the past. And if he can recapture some of that form, he could be a really, really solid free agent signing, but we'll have to see how he plays this year. I mean, if he goes back to what he was before he got hurt, he's at least uh, an above-average cornerback. And I think that that would be a welcome return for the Bengals as they look to replace William Jackson in that secondary. Coming up next, we wrap up this week's Weekend Mailbag. The Weekend Mailbag rolls on with David Black, who asks, what cornerbacks did Jamar Chase face in college that he will face year one in the NFL and how badly 
did he beat them in college? He faced a lot of cornerbacks that went on to play in the NFL. The ones on the schedule this year will be Patrick Sertain. He was drafted by the Denver Broncos. C.J. Henderson, if he's playing for Jacksonville, plays for the Jaguars. And Cameron Dantzler now plays for the Minnesota Vikings. Cameron Dantzler actually is one of the guys that he had some issues with in college. We'll see how that rematch goes. I'm sure Jamar Chase is very excited to take another shot there. I did recently go back and rewatch the LSU Alabama game when Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow were still playing college football. And for the most part, Chase was matched up with Diggs and not Sertan in that game. So not really sure what kind of numbers happened in those particular matchups because for the most part, his production came against Trayvon Diggs in that game. And then CJ Henderson is the other one on the list. I don't have the individual breakdown of all of those guys, but I can tell you against AJ Terrell, Trayvon Diggs, CJ Henderson, Noah Igbinohe, and Patrick Sertain, who were all NFL cornerbacks. This doesn't include Cameron Dantzler, but against those five, he had 26 catches on 37 targets for 487 yards and six touchdowns. So that's four games of production, <laughs> over 100 yards per game, over a touchdown per game. And uh, half of those catches, by the way, were for 15 plus yards. So I would say that's pretty productive. The other note I want to throw out on this is when I was researching this question, I found a tweet from Jordan Reed from last year's draft cycle. And he asked some corners who, who the best wide receiver they faced in college was. Cam Dantzler said Jamar Chase. Trayvon Diggs said Jamar Chase. And A.J. Terrell said Jamar Chase. So Boom. There, there's some NFL corners that all thought Jamar Chase was the best wide receiver they faced at 19 years old in college. You're smiling ear to ear. Ear to ear, Jake. And the Bengals are too, right? I mean, that's... Uh, that's all you need to say, right? If if those three guys are saying that high NFL draft picks, then uh, in those numbers are produced by Chase, then he's as advertised, man. Can't wait to see him play. Yeah, and if you were to include Dantzler just for full transparency, I don't think the numbers would go up that much. <laughs> just to be fair, he, he didn't have a great game in that one. But again, I think he's very excited for the rematch. Next question, James, comes from Governor Chief who got to know me a little bit when I went on their podcast. We talked a lot about gaming, and that, I think, is the genesis of this question. He knows that you like working out, James, with your Built Bar talk, and he wants to know what Bengals player you would like to work out with and why. And he wants to know what Bengals player I would like to get together and nerd out with over a game of D&D or maybe some other video game or something, and, and why. Oh, this is tough. This is tough because their workouts, and by they, I mean NFL players' workouts and James Erpine's built bar fueled workouts are just different. <laughs> and so I like I uh, I feel like I keep myself in decent shape, but it would just be such a cool experience. So any of them, first off, any of them, if I could well, go work out, you work out harder than them because of the built bars, right? That that's what you were trying to say. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's right. It's go. different. I'd be taking a step down. That's exactly right. You're right. Uh, promo code lock 15 at billbar.com. Anyways, I, uh, I think, um, you know, I would work out with any of them. Hell if, you know, Drew Chrisman wanted to work out with me at the Bengals facilities at Paul Brown stadium, I'm down. Right. And I, I actually probably could outlift Drew Chrisman. Uh, who knows? Maybe, uh, but the, uh, 
the one guy, if I had to pick one, it, it's it's Joe Burrow, who wouldn't want to work out with the star of the team. And I went back and forth with this. I know Tyler Boyd. Uh, I get along with him. Well, I can't wait to see him again because since I've been back covering the Bengals, I haven't been able to see him in person outside of him being on the football field. So that would be one that would be cool. Working out with one of the linemen would be cool, right? A Jonah Williams type. But I, doesn't it have to be Joe Burrow? I mean, who would you? I Not that you're in the gym like that, but who would you work out with? Jake, answer that. Because I, I have no idea who I'd play D&D with. But it has to be Burrow, right? I mean, it, it would just be to hang out with him. I mean, I would just talk about football with him the whole time. And maybe he'd be really annoyed about that. And I'd be like talking about, so so you know, some plays like, some plays in that Washington game in particular stand out as, as some, not, not like the injury, but like some throws that like the, some throws at T Higgins and, and talk about, you know, what he learned from, from those throws and, you know, how, how that's going to shape his game going forward. And, and I can probably come up with other examples if he doesn't want to talk about that game, but you got the idea. You know what I would be trying to do? Outlift him. That's right. You would never, none of these guys will want it because if I beat them at anything, I would make sure the world knew it. I out push up Joe Burrow. Like, why the hell does he need to do do push ups? He's a quarterback. I could probably do that. But like, no. you know what I'm saying? Anything out curl. If I did any of that, then no. it would be it would be on the intro of Locked On Bengals. It it's would the, it would be and James Erpine who out curled Joe Burrow. Da, da, da. It, it just <laughs> would never happen. Uh, Joe Burrow is more competitive than you. He's more competitive than like almost everybody on this earth, James. It would be fun. I want it to happen now. All right. Well, good luck. I'm ready. Who are you for playing D and D with? Uh, you know, I was thinking about this, and I haven't talked to a lot of these guys. And and we were talking about it a little bit before we recorded. You said Mike Daniels is a guy. I know he's into like Dragon Ball Z, like Carl Lawson. I think. I don't know. I'm actually not sure about that now that I say it. Yeah, no. But um, I I have talked to Trey Hopkins, and when we had him on the show, was it last year? No, two years ago now. We we talked a little bit about some old Pokemon games and stuff. So I bet you I could get Trey Hopkins into it. And he's just such a an affable guy. Like, I think he would have fun with it. I think he would get into it. I think he'd just be like a chill, cool guy to hang out and roll some dice with. So if, if it's D&D specifically, Trey Hopkins, sure, why not? That could be fun. Next question comes from Nicole Cushing on Twitter. There are dudes who make a career out of playing AAA baseball with the rare call up to the majors. Is that what it's like for an NFL practice squad guy? Can they stay on the practice squad for multiple years and make an okay living? I don't know if anyone is like a long-term career practice squad guy, the way that you see this as lifers in, in AAA baseball, but it's not terrible practice squatters I think that the, the limitation is that teams can only have two guys on the practice squad that have no limitations on their number of accrued seasons and so for the most part you can only have guys that haven't been on 53-man rosters or haven't been on active game day rosters very much in their careers as far as salary if you were on a practice squad for now seven 18 weeks of an NFL season you're making twelve thousand dollars per week in 2020. If you have two plus accrued seasons, if you're one of those younger guys that hasn't been on a roster yet, and this would be maybe a little bit more like your lifer in AAA, you're making 8,400 a week. That's pretty good money. You could definitely live on that. Now you would need a job after football. You're not retiring on your, you know, 
150, $200,000 a year. That's pretty good money though. You know? So I think you could do it. I don't know if this is really a thing though. I don't think guys stick around on practice squads in the same way because like in baseball, you could be a guy that could come up and be a serviceable sub in football. If you never really make it off a practice squad and then you get a little bit older, you're, you're not quite as attractive for the team to keep around, I think is the unfortunate reality. But hey, if there's a guy out there that's been a career practice squatter that I'm missing, and, and maybe this is like a long snapper thing, maybe Dan Godsell is doing this for the Bengals a little bit, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a special teamer. Our next question of the mailbag, James, comes from Chris Hensley at Chris Hensley on Twitter. Wants to know, as of today, what do you think will be the three biggest position battles going on in the OTAs and in training camp. Starts with left guard. Who's going to be the Bengals starting left guard? Jackson Carmen obviously penciled in at right guard. If they don't sign Morgan Moses, which seems unlikely, which is fine. Xavier Suofilo, is that it? Is it Quentin Spain? Or do they go a different route? Does Akeem Adeniji get in the mix here and, and start to compete? I, I wouldn't rule it out. And so that to me is, is the number one because... Obviously, protecting Joe Burrow is the number one goal here and what they have to do. So how they solve that offensive line, specifically that left guard spot, is quite interesting. So that, to me, is number one. Number two might be linebacker, and maybe I'm missing it here. But you're right. Like, as far as breakout, you need someone to break out. And while Logan Wilson seems to to be the, the favorite there, could Marcus Bailey get in the mix here? Could he jump a Jermaine Pratt? Can uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither, will he be able to uh, hold off Pratt or overtake Pratt? I I think that there's certainly some competition there based on the age of these guys that they're suddenly banking on. They're all around the same age, around the same experience. What's going to happen there? And then third, probably cornerback. And I I might be missing one here completely. And if so, well, it's it's on me. So, Jake, you might have a better answer. But, But to me, cornerback, that fourth cornerback spot, is it Darius Phillips? Is that going to happen? I guess that ties into punt returner in, in the competition there. But Darius Phillips, along with Eli Apple, uh, competing for that fourth corner spot. And then, again, it ties into that, that return spot. Because uh, if Phillips is doing that, then he doesn't necessarily have to cut his teeth uh, as the fourth corner. So those are the three that stand out the most off the top of my head. I agree about left guard. I think for me, the second one is probably just the pecking order on the defensive line. And that all mm-hmm. shaking out. Because... There's a lot to, to really figure out, especially for the the sub packages, the, the nickel package in particular, who's going to be that that pass rushing three tech to go out there with Larry Ogunjobi, or are you going to see four defensive end fronts where you have Sam Hubbard and Cam Sample inside with Osai and Trey Hendrickson outside? So I think figuring out that rotation is something that will probably – require some attention from the coaches this year. I think the the backup running back job, third running back is, is going to be a big one. I think third tight end is going to be a big one. So those are some some last guys on the active roster kind of thing that the team is going to need to figure out where you have some guys fighting for a spot on the 53. But I don't think you're wrong on the other ones either, like some top of the roster fights for, for cornerbacks, playing time certainly and for for who's getting more snaps in the linebacker room who's going to emerge as a leader there because really they've got those young guys Jordan Evans and that's about it so so somebody does need to step up 
and something needs to work out there. Our last question of today's mailbag comes from Jordan Henry at Hooday J27. What's your best cicada memory? I don't know if it's like a good memory exactly, but it's kind of funny in my memory. When I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school when the cicadas came last. So everybody knows exactly how old I am if they want to go do the math. And I was in the band at the time and we were driving up to Miami because that's where my, my high school had their graduation that year. And the band was on the bus. Everybody had the windows down. And as I remember it, that drive goes through like a heavily wooded area. And I haven't done that drive in about 17 years. So I don't really remember, but I remember going through a wooded area and a bunch of cicadas flying into the bus and, you know, all the, all the high school girls were freaking out and, and there were some screams and that was pretty funny. And, and then there were the dudes that were, you know, picking up on the screens and they're like, Oh yeah, let's, let's just take this up a notch and let's, let's eat some cicadas. Eat. Yep. Eat some cicadas. So there were some dares to, to eat. Cause this, I mean, restaurants were cooking them. Are they doing that this anytime? Anyway, at the time, restaurants were cooking up cicadas and serving them cooked. But these kids restaurants do you go to? Oh, I I didn't get them. I just heard it was a thing. These kids on the school bus, though, were ready to pop raw cicada as a snack. And uh, that is my most prominent memory of of cicadas the last time they were alive in Cincinnati. See, I'm busy eating built bars and then I go outside and I crush cicadas. I don't eat cicadas. I demolish them right now. My cicada count. I'm only at three. I haven't seen many yet, but the three I've seen, uh, rest in peace. So we'll, we'll see how many I get to my memory. 17 years ago, my childhood best friend, Brad Helton and I probably killed thousands of the things, tennis rackets, wiffle ball bats, those long yellow bats. He had some, uh, trees and stuff in his backyard and they're flying all over. Woo. It was fun. I got better at baseball. I'll tell you that during the cicada run. Maybe that's why I was uh, able to have a, a pretty decent high school career playing baseball. It's because I got the, the cicadas warming me up here. Uh, take a step forward in my development. But that's that's what I remember. That's the only time they've been around until this year. Man, yeah. I, and I don't get it this year. Are they not cooking cicadas? I feel like you have to Google this now and, and go check out if they're cooking up cicadas at any restaurants in Cincinnati. They're not fully out yet as we recorded this. I think oh, by okay. the weekend, they're going to be like out, out. Like I like I said, I've only seen a couple. But yeah, if they've – come on, man. I don't want to rip any local restaurants. But if that's really happening, what are we doing? What are we doing? I, I, I can't remember anymore, but I'm pretty sure oh. it was a thing. Like a oh. widespread thing. It's, uh, why? 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 We don't have to eat everything. <laughs> what are we doing? I, I don't know. I, you man. know what? If if that is the case, I'm going to get a case of Built Bars and serve them at that restaurant. And I'll just pass them out like, yeah, you, you don't need to eat cicada here. Just have this Built Bar and go to McDonald's or something because that's better than, than cicada stew. Here you go, James. A Chicago Tribune article that I just oh. Googled. The cicadas are coming and they're packed with protein and gluten-free. Oh, be sure to take the wings and legs off before you cook them. This is the headline of this Associated Press article, actually, that ran in the in the Chicago Tribune by Mark Kennedy that went up on Wednesday, May 19th. Gluten-free. Gluten-free, All right. free, baby. I get diets and I'm not ripping anybody. You do not. You, there's so many other options besides a, a protein-packed. Built Bars kick cicadas' asses. 
Okay. So protein packed. Well, what does Mark, whatever the hell his name is, know? He might know a lot, by the way, about food, but he's wrong about this one. Cicadas. He talked to a guy named David George Gordon, the author of Eat a Bug Cookbook. This is this is the content that our listeners tune in for, right, guys? Like this is why you're sticking around at the 36 minute mark of this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. As I scroll through here, James, there's there's a picture of like ginger snap cookies with the cicada baked into them. So, uh, you know, if any of you guys are bold and and maybe you remember doing this because I, I can swear that they were in restaurants and this was a thing. Let us know. Let us know your your cicada stories. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'll stop talking about the edible properties of the cicada swarm that's coming. Until next time, Bengals fans, OTAs next week. Who day and have a good one.